Money FM 89.3, the best of your money. Money and me on your money, only on Money FM 89.3. Money FM 89.3. Good morning, it's me, Danko, with you on Your Money. Now, I'm sure most of us can agree that the one word that's weighing heavily on markets these days is recession. I mean, if you look it up on Google, searches for the word recession have spiked to levels not seen since March 2020 when the pandemic hit. And this comes amid emerging signs that the economic growth is buckling under the Fed's aggressive tightening. And while optimism that the Fed would slow the pace of rate hikes had stoked a 14% rally since mid-October, investors' moods has now darkened with worries that such a move may indicate that the economy is weakening faster and worse than most expected. Even the average projection of strategies tracked by Bloomberg is for the S&P 500 to end next year at just 4,009 points. That's their most pessimistic call since at least 1999. But that doesn't mean that it has to be all doom and gloom. In fact, with Christmas and the New Year looming large, I've prepared a little something for you listeners on today's episode of Money and Me. And that's the blueprint to building a recession-proof portfolio. So let's unpack this recipe with the one and only Tim Phillips, the Head of Content and Investment Lead for Prosperous CGS CIMB Securities. Happy Monday, Tim. How are you doing this morning? Happy Monday, Dan. I'm good. How are you? I'm great. And thank you so much for joining us to start the week. Now, speculation about a potential recession has plagued most of this year and is now seen as all but inevitable in 2023. In its global outlook report, BlackRock wrote that the recession is foretold. And even JP Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon reiterated a prediction that a recession is coming in 2023. So, Tim, why not you set the scene for us? And based on recent economic data, are you expecting a recession as well? If so, what will the recession look like? Yeah, so obviously I think the consensus view is that there will be a recession. Mm. The question is really just how deep the recession will be, right? Will it be a shallow recession and a soft landing, quote-unquote soft landing, which is what everyone is hoping for? Yeah. Or will it be quite a deep recession where their you know, inflation remains, uh, remains high and, and the Fed maybe hikes past 5%? Because I think at the moment the market is expecting the, the Fed funds rate to top out at 5%. But there's a lot of chat that that could have to go higher to pull inflation down, uh, you know, closer to the 2% inflation target from the mm. Fed. But if you're thinking about the recent data, I mean, the, the economy is still doing very well in the U.S. I mean, that that's, I think, part of the issue is that the interest rates have gone up at the fastest pace in 40 years. And obviously, inflation is also at its highest in 40 years. So we haven't really seen this sort of dynamic play out in the market in in decades, really. So I think it's a bit unsettling for investors. But the U.S. labor market is what's really holding up the economy. And that continues to be very, very strong. If you look at the latest jobs report, that was the U.S. economy added about 263,000 jobs in November. Mm. Uh, and so the expectation for, was for the economy to add about 200,000. So it really blew past expectations. And so the economy jobs market rather continues to be really, really strong. And I think that's really driving the driving the economy and, and really proving a headache for the for the Fed because the Fed if you're kind of looking at the inflation numbers, they're starting to come down, which is which is positive, but the jobs market is continuing to hold up strong. So if you're thinking about the jobs market in a typical recession, there will have the unemployment rate will have to rise. And and currently the unemployment rate is about three point six, three point seven percent. So that's also at a very 
Uh, that's a multi-decade low. So there's a lot of talk about the inflation rate coming down, uh, which is positive, but that's only been one or two months. And then the unemployment rate will have to probably rise if there is going to be a recession. And the mm. problem with the economy at the moment in the U.S., I think globally, which, which, which we're all seeing in Singapore and other parts of Asia, is that there's a, a labor shortage, right? There's just not enough uh, labor to meet demand at this point. And so that's the problem that the U.S. economy is facing. There's a this sort of labor participation rate in the U.S. is that cheap. Below the pre is below the pan, uh, pre-pandemic levels, so it hasn't really gotten back up to it up to the levels that we saw pre-pandemic, and there are a number of reasons for that. I think there's the baby boomers that are starting to retire. There is also the the, the, the massive number of people that are maybe have long COVID and have decided out of the labor market, and there's also just people deciding that they you know want to work from home or or do the digital nomad life. So there's a lot of shortage of staff in key critical areas. Mm. Um, and so that's also that's also proving an issue for the Fed in terms of uh, in terms of wage growth, because if you're seeing inflation, a lot of that is being driven by wage growth. Right. So then how might a U.S. recession affect us here in Singapore? Are we expecting one as well? And I mean, taking into consideration earlier this year, MTI Alvin Tan said that Singapore does not expect its economy to slip into recession or stagflation next year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I think it's a bit more of a different picture in Singapore because although we are a global financial center and we're very open to trade flows and, and the U.S. economy, there's also the flip side, which we'll probably talk about a bit, a bit later, is China reopening. And so that's also going to prove to be probably a tailwind for the likes of Singapore and the rest mm. of Southeast Asia in 2023. And so Singapore is still attracting a lot of investment. There's still a lot of inflows, as you can see, in terms of in terms of assets, in terms of wealth management, in terms of job openings as well. And so I think Singapore is really going to benefit. I mean, the official talk is that Singapore won't benefit from this divergence between the U.S. and China. Mm. But maybe more in reality, if we think about the U.S. and China and where they set up base in in Asia, Singapore is going to prove to be a really good investment center, I think, for, for both countries in terms of the geopolitical tensions. And so you're still seeing a lot of investment from Chinese companies. You're still seeing a lot of investment from, from U.S. companies that are maybe moving headquarter, head, Asian headquarter companies down to Singapore from Hong Kong. Mm. Um, so I think Singapore is less of a certain case than maybe the U.S. and Europe, which I think Europe is really nearly definitely in a recession currently, whereas the U.S., the question is how deep that recession will be. Whereas in Singapore, there's still there's still more uncertainty about whether there will be a recession or, or stagflation next year. But I think the, the prospects in Singapore look a lot better for, for sure. Mm, certainly something good to look at. Well, Tim, thank you so much for setting the scene for us. Why not let's talk about the blueprint and the juice of yeah. this interview today. What do we need to know about the blueprint to a recession-proof portfolio and what should it look like? Right. So a recession-proof portfolio is really focused on three sectors that are that are technically, I mean, technically recession resistant. I think proof mm. is probably not the best word to use because nothing's, uh, nothing's, you know, certain, but re- yep. maybe more resistant to a recession. And this is typical within the investment industry anyway, given the, the history of the performance of these sectors. But the three sectors that most people would be going into heading into a recession is uh, utilities, consumer staples, and healthcare. And so there's a number of reasons for this, right? I mean, utilities, I mean, the spending that these companies get, they're a lot more predictable. The cash flows are a lot more predictable. I mean, you need to use your water, you need to use your electricity, Mm. you know, people use certain amounts of of power and that's all very predictable. And a lot of these companies produce cash flows based on long-term contracts with maybe perhaps 
inflation links indexes like tied into contracts so that they they continue to produce more and more cash flows even though inflation is rising um, and so those earnings are what drive share prices in the end right and so earnings in those sectors tend to hold up better because the demand tends to hold up better in those sectors so for example in the past sort of 15 or 16 years if you look at the history of, of all the different sectors within the S&P 500 the healthcare has actually been one of the strongest performing in a downturn, but also one of the better performing in, in the bull market. So in the bull market from sort of 2009 to up to 2021, healthcare was in the top three performing sectors for about seven of the you know 12 years. Wow. So that was that's pretty good. But in the downturn in 2008, when everything got absolutely smashed during the <laughs> financial crisis, healthcare was the was the second best performing sector after consumer staples. But it was still down 23 and a half percent the sector mm. in, in the S&P. But if you compare that to something like, you know, IT, which was down 44 percent, or if you compare that to consumer discretionary, which was down 38 percent, the outperformance is actually very impressive. And so healthcare is one of those structural stories where I think investors have a bit of the downside protection in terms of you're not going to make money in a downturn, but you're definitely going to outperform other sectors in, in the stock market. And then when you get back to you know the the cycle turning and there being more of a boom then i think healthcare has those structural tailwinds that will go on for you know for decades so healthcare is is looking quite attractive i think utilities mm. and consumer staples are pretty they're predictable uh, consumer staples at this point in the us at least it seems a little bit more on the pricey side as a, as a sector mm. uh, whereas healthcare and utilities i think are more where investors probably want to be uh, positioned if they do want to stay invested. But I think in terms of recession, recession resistant or recession proof, it's always useful to have some cash in there as well for dry mm. powder if you see opportunities arise uh, that you want to take advantage of, of specific uh, companies that you like. Right, wonderful. And let's just reiterate mm. the three points of the blueprint to a recession proof or should I say resistant portfolio. And these three sectors are utilities, consumer staples and healthcare. Now, Tim, I'm actually quite curious to know about this. You know, the 60-40 portfolio is usually designed to minimize risk while generating a consistent rate of return over time. And that's even during periods of volatility. Do you think this would be relevant in times of a recession? Will this be an effective strategy? I think what we've seen so far this year is that the portfolio hasn't performed, right? So mm. even though even though equities have, have been beaten down, you'd expect bonds to outperform and, and help. Um, and I think this is more tied to the Fed and the rate hike cycle that you're seeing, right? Because typically in a traditional cycle or a traditional rate hike cycle, the Fed would be would be hiking as um, as you know, Fed would be sorry. If you're thinking about a, a rate cut cycle, the Fed would be cutting into a recession, right? But at this point, it seems like the Fed is continuing to hike, even though we're heading into a recession. Mm. Um, so bonds tend to outperform when rate hikes are getting, when the rates, uh, interest rates are getting cut, um, and so interest rates are not getting cut into a recession at this point. It seems like they're continuing to go up, and they might even stay elevated. And so that's an issue for bonds. Um, so that's why it hasn't really performed this year and it's come down along with equities. But a lot of institutional investors and professional investors for next year, they think fixed income or bonds are, is going to be the best performing asset class. And I think that's tied to the expectation that the Fed is either going to pause at, at a certain level and then start to cut maybe in the middle or the second half of 2023. Hmm. Um, so I think if the Fed does does signal that it will pause and then it, that it will cut into a recession, 
then bonds will probably start to to perform better. But I think this is based on a lot of assumptions about what the Fed is going to do. <laughs> so yeah. it's um it's more it's more uncertain in that in that respect. But I think the sixty forty portfolio is really an oversimplification anyway of of a of a portfolio that you should be building for your for yourself in, in a lifetime because it's just really got two asset classes in there, mm. right? I mean, there's nothing, no mention of of commodities, alternatives. Um, a lot of professional investors, as we all know in Singapore, Temasek is a lot of their stuff is in unlisted assets, right? Is it alternatives or private equity, mm. um, which is a bit more difficult for us to access as retail investors. But I think the sixty forty portfolio is definitely a, a simplification for for retail investors because there should be a bit more diversification within within their portfolio, even during periods of volatility. Right. Diversity. I think that's something that I've been hearing a lot these days as well. Tim, we've talked about the good stuff and why not let's shift our attention to the things to avoid during a recession. What should investors not do in a recession? And are there any industries or sectors to avoid? Well, I think what you should not do is stop investing because I think long term, you will still want to invest and as we all know, the market is forward-looking, right? So mm. by the time we actually get into a recession or the depths of the recession, the market may have already turned by that point. Um, so it's all dependent on how bad the hit is to earnings because at the, this point in time, a lot of consensus expectations for next year is that there will still be earnings growth in 2023, which is at this point quite a surprise for most people because we're all expecting a recession. And typically when a recession hits, the earnings growth of companies either will slow down or will turn negative because they will earn less and, and mm. margins will get hit. And so in that sort of scenario, if you're looking at the US at least for earnings growth, you know, consumer discretionary is probably a sector that will be hit and it already has been hit this year in terms of its performance because the consumer, although it's holding up well right now, there are signs that the US consumer is under stress. You know, credit card balances are hitting a record high, the savings rate is coming down. And so even though there's a lot of there's a lot of stimulus money that's still left in the system for US consumers, if there is a recession, then US consumers naturally, understandably, all of us would would tighten our belts, right? And would pull back on spending. And so that tends to affect consumer discretionary companies first mm. uh, and earnings will get will probably be hit as well in in that sector so that's one sector that you should you should watch out for because the u.s consumer makes up about 66 percent two-thirds of u.s gdp right wow. so mm. it's a very driven it's a very consumer-centric economy in the u.s mm. and so it's important to remember that um that in terms of growth in terms of in terms of the consumer discretionary sector that the u.s consumer is is probably going to start to weaken in 2023. Right. All right. Thank you so much for that, Tim. Now, if you're just joining us, we're speaking to Tim Phillips, the Head of Content and Investment Lead for Prosper Us, CGS CIMB Securities, about the blueprint to building a recession-proof portfolio. Now, Tim, we've talked a lot about the recession and, you know, I'm sure investors out there are just looking for safe havens to look at. And mm-hmm. why not let's turn over to China? Because after a rough year, Chinese stocks are ending this year with a big rebound. And this comes as China starts to ease its COVID-19 restrictions last week. We're seeing you know, global traders feeling increasingly more bullish on China, with investment bank Morgan Stanley recently upgrading its view on the, on the future performance of Chinese equities for the first time in nearly two years. So that being said, what are your thoughts on China's reopening and does it provide a favorable backdrop for people to invest? Well, I think China, more broadly, it, the, the picture couldn't have gotten worse before all these measures were announced, right? I mean, the economy was slowing. There were property issues. Uh, there was a lot of 
a lot of earnings uncertainty for companies because of the stop-start nature of all these restrictions. Mm. And so if you're looking at the broader Asia economy and, and, and growth in Asia, I think it, it's definitely positive that China is opening just because China is, is the number two economy in the world. So it's, it's definitely a net positive for this region. In terms of in terms of the companies and in terms of the investment backdrop, it's definitely become a lot more favorable for investors if they are looking at the rebound. But I think the the initial spurt and the initial reopening rally that we've had is is premised on that this is going to be very smooth reopening, right? In China, mm-hmm. it's going to go as planned and it will go, you know, and, and they'll be open by maybe the middle of next year. But I think this is a, a process that's going to take a lot of time. And, and as we've seen globally, every country has to go through these peaks in terms of infections and in terms of deaths. And so there is going to be a lot of, there is going to be a lot of, uh, a lot of stop starts with, with the policy in terms of the policy. And I think investors are, maybe overly optimistic about what mm. types of policies are going to come out. And so I think it's more advisable for investors just to stay grounded in terms of what to expect. Although at least the positive is that the process has started for China to open up. So I think that's definitely a positive for investors who are looking into China and looking at certain companies, but the process will not be a straight line, right? I think it's yeah. going to be, there are going to be a lot of ups and downs. Yeah, that's for sure. I think it's uh, it's always important for us to not make premature decisions as well, you know, of Certainly. all these small little rallies. Now, what does Definitely. the reopening of China mean for the broader Asia economy and for us here in Singapore? Well, I think for the broader Asia economy, as I touched on, it's, it's definitely a net positive for, for growth because Singapore, you know, our economy is, is an open economy, a trade-dependent economy, and that's that's going to be positive. And I think for supply chains globally, obviously, that will also be positive. Although with inflation in Europe and maybe the US, it might be a bit of a negative for those countries because with China opening up, inflation there should should be expected to pick up as well. And right. I think that might drive commodity prices a bit higher because China's been shut, effectively shut for so long. If you think about iron ore consumption and commodities consumption, things like that, that that's also that's dropped off a cliff really in terms of the numbers because China's been closed. But if China does start to reopen and starts to consume more and starts to buy up more commodities, then I think that may feed through to inflation in countries that are thinking they're getting it under control. So that might be a bit more of a red herring for, you know, the US and and for Europe in terms of their inflation and how they see that in the months ahead. Mm. But I think for us in Singapore, it's it's certainly a positive. I think the Asian economy will benefit, but that also will feed through to, to Southeast Asia and the rest of Asia Pacific. I think it will definitely be a net positive. Right. And that's uh, something, at least we can look forward to something bright within Asia. Exactly. And yeah. yeah. Moving into <laughs> so next been, year, we've talked of a recession. Super negative. Yeah. yeah it's been super negative this whole year, hasn't it? It has <laughs> been. It has been. All right. Yeah. Well, with that being said, then how should we weigh the opportunities and risks, especially when considering our exposure to the Chinese market? Uh, well, I, I think that the obvious winners in the Chinese reopening will be the consumer sector, the consumer stock. So in a flip, so in a, it's sort of flipped on its head versus the U.S., right, where you're seeing a little bit more weakness with the consumer in the U.S. heading mm. into 2023. In China, there must be, if you think about 1.4 billion people and the amount of demand that has been repressed over the past two years, the, the, the reopening in terms of that, how much demand is going to be unleashed is really maybe not on a scale that we can even imagine. So I think <laughs> in, terms of, in terms of earnings for these consumer stocks, 
the sector there, you know, I, I mean, you saw a lot of the hot pot names like Heidi Lau and they, they rallied on the reopening news right. right in China, like massively, massively rallied. So mm. I think there's opportunity in specific sectors and stocks. I'm sure you, you've seen the names like in tourism also be, be uh, rally on, on the reopening news. I think there's a lot of pent up demand for travel. So if China eventually does let citizens go overseas and travel and come back without any restrictions on, on quarantine. I don't know how far down the line that will be, but eventually that must that must happen. Yep. Um, those sectors will definitely see a massive uh, a massive rally, right? And so I think those are areas that are pretty obvious for consumers. You're even seeing the likes of of Xpeng and and the Auto and Neo, the the EV makers in China. They're 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 recovering as supply chains start to come back online and supply starts to normalize. So I think for that, those companies that are manufacturing, that's actually been a really positive uh, impact because a lot of a lot of the shutdowns and lockdowns have affected production in China. Right. And so now knowing that production is a bit more predictable, I think those companies uh, will certainly benefit. In terms of the overall exposure to the market, I think it depends on your on your risk tolerance. Don't forget what the Chinese government had done had done previously in terms of clamping down on tech. So I think mm. everyone has a short memory in terms of their in terms of their you know how how they view risk, but I think it's important to remember where the market is going, how you think about your exposure to the Chinese market in terms of your overall portfolio, and just measure it. You know, you know, uh, I guess responsibly, and and think about think about the the regulatory risk as well as the reopening upside, and I think you can come to a conclusion about. How much risk you want to take、uh, in the Chinese market? Fantastic! Thank you so much for that, Tim. Now, Tim, you've done a wonderful job, you know, painting for us what we need to know about the blueprint、mm-hmm. of a recession-proof portfolio and the opportunities that's available to us on China's reopening of its economy. Now, before I let you go, though, as we move into the new year, what are some financial financial tips you have for us that is not limited to investing alone? Okay, well, for myself, I've been, you know, I think just trying to save, trying to save more money is obviously. A goal that we all have, and <laughs> and put put it away. But I think in terms of your spending habits as well, where you can save, if you can buy things secondhand and and you know reuse things or sell things on instead of instead of throwing it away. If there's an opportunity for to, to sell stuff, I mean, I've been selling a bit more on Carousel, or,、mm. or as a lot of people say Carahel. <laughs> it's been a bit more. It's、uh, you know obviously you know, trying to find buyers for this, trying to buy buyers for that. No, it's it's a good it's a good platform. I'm just kidding.、Yeah. It's a really fun fun platform and. And it also gives you an opportunity to make some extra money from stuff that you may not may, may not use or may not have a need for.、Yeah. And actually, if you go on there as a buyer and, and think about things that you can pick up secondhand, which you wouldn't mind, you could you can find some really、uh, really good deals for, for for things that you need that you may not need new, right? You may、mm. not need brand new because things that are brand new, obviously, there's a massive、um, there's a massive premium. And some some of the things that you can find on there are really great in terms of the quality and in terms of it. Really not being used, but selling for a lot for a lot cheaper.、Mm-hmm. I think that extends to other parts of of your of your lifestyle. If you think about brand names, even on consumer staples goods like、uh, you know rice or oil or, or all the basic commodity goods that we have when we cook,、yeah. um, if you just buy like name like you know the fair price brand own like name, its own brand, it, that tends to be a lot cheaper, right, than、mm. a named brand, and and it's effectively the same thing. It's actually not really. It's actually very very different. It's not、yeah. that different. It's, it's Effectively the same thing, but maybe it's twenty or thirty percent cheaper than a than a brand being、uh, marketed to you. So I think、yeah. that's something to to keep in mind when we head into two thousand twenty three and we want to save a bit of money, maybe. Wonderful! Thank you so much for that,、yeah. Tim. This has been、yeah. such a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and wishing you an advance Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Thanks.
You too, Dan. Have a good New Year. Merry Great. Christmas. Thank you so much, Tim. Now we've been speaking to Tim Phillips, Head of Content and Investment Lead for Prosper Us, CGS CIMB Securities, about the blueprint to building a recession-proof portfolio and the growth opportunities that China's reopening of its economy presents to us. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.